0: The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here in chapel, a nice full house. And as has been already said and prayed over, uh, you're approaching the break and we're praying for you that the Lord would give you grace in this week and that uh, a couple of days off will serve you well. Uh, I know this is a time of year when we begin to feel it, and so uh, you are uh, being lifted up on a daily basis, and I want you to be encouraged by that. Today I want to continue uh, my series for the fall, no matter what. Uh, No matter what, uh, what we do as Christians, regardless of context or circumstances. And so uh, last time we were talking about this before homecoming, uh, we were talking about the issue of faith, that we believe no matter what that despite our circumstances and despite the context in which we find ourselves, we hold our faith. We hold firm, Uh, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We maintain that faith perspective even when we don't feel like it. I think I shared in a previous chapel that this particular series uh, for this fall came after reflecting over the summer on the ways in which the world around us is influencing us. I've been thinking even more about it as I've been thinking about the semester as it goes on. Uh, I never would have guessed in my lifetime that you could actually make a heavy six-figure income in this world as an influencer. Um, I'm actually struck sometimes when I bump into someone and uh, they're not an accountant or an attorney, uh, they're not a mechanic or an engineer, they're an influencer. They're out there influencing They're out there sort of spending their time getting us to think and to feel about things in a particular way, to want things, to go after things, to pursue things, to visit places, to eat certain foods. Uh, We live in a world that is uh, surrounded by influence. That's not new to the 21st century or this crazy economy in which we find ourselves. We're human beings. Human beings have always been subject to being influenced by others and always been in the business of influencing others from the very beginning of all of this. We have that effect on one another, and the world in which we live is influenced by us at the same time that it influences us. So what does that mean for us as Christians? Well, we deal with these two things, the context in which we find ourselves, the way the, way the culture around us thinks and lives, the things that it values. We also find ourselves experiencing personal circumstances, things that might hit us, the, an illness. or uh, or a tragedy, a death of a loved one, or some interruption to our lives, or, or something even less tragic than that, although seemingly impactful, like a roommate situation, or something going on in your in your classwork. There are all kinds of circumstances that are part of our lives. The issue is, do we let our context, the thinking and feeling the sensibilities of the world around us, do we let our circumstances, the things that we're experiencing in our daily lives, do we let them deter us as Christians from the things that are essential to the Christian faith? Well, the answer is no, we keep going, right? I think last time we were together, I referenced the prophet Jeremiah where we draw the university's verse that despite his despair, the tragedy that's befallen him, despite the fact that he feels his bones have been crushed and he's grinding his teeth on gravel, he stops and praises God, recognizing the steadfast love of God, the mercy of God, the great faithfulness of God. There is something to this Christian life that we walk a particular way because we think a particular way and we believe in certain things and we don't give up on those just because our context might be pushing us in a particular direction or our circumstances might lead us down a different path. We're to stay the course. This passage this morning actually addresses one of those. See, as Christians, we're both called and commanded to do certain things regardless of our circumstances or our context. Likewise, there are things we are exhorted and expected to do as Christians. These aren't to repress us or control us or make us feel worse, rather, therefore, our benefit. And one of these is this exhortation to rejoice. Regardless of our context, Regardless of our circumstances, the Scripture tells us we are to rejoice. The idea uh, that we see, not just in terms of our, our, our call to be a people of faith regardless, we're actually called to actually pray, to hope, and to rejoice. If you read the Bible, as a few of you may be doing this year, it's a joke, um, <laughs> you'll see example after example of God's people who who hope and rejoice and pray and encourage others when their own circumstances, through the lens of the world in which we live, would say you should do everything but those things. Yet God's people keep doing them. Why? Because we're to think about things and we're to judge things differently than the world around us. So as Christians, we're called to do these things regardless of our context and regardless of the circumstances. But again, they're not to make us... Feel worse about ourselves. They're not to deny the reality of human life in a hard world. Rather, they're here for our benefit. In fact, one other exhortation around this issue of rejoicing or joy is found in James's epistle, where he says you should consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Because they're actually for your benefit. It develops perseverance and, and, and you'll, you'll live a better life that way. If you look at the hard things that come your way as opportunities for joy, count them, consider them, evaluate them as though they are a joy to you. That's counterintuitive to the world thing. Everything that's hard that comes our way is a problem, not an opportunity to get stronger or to develop perseverance. They're not something we should consider a joy or evaluate as for our benefit. Rather, these are things to be avoided. To be alleviated that's not the wisdom of scripture and the same thing's true here the apostle paul writing this letter to the church at philippi the passage that that we're going to deal with today from philippians chapter 4 that i would say was read but i think dean swift had it memorized ephesians 4 that we're to rejoice in the lord when are we to rejoice in the lord always we're to rejoice in the lord The Apostle Paul's exhortation in Philippians 4, 4 is to rejoice in the Lord always, and that's not a trivial or trite exhortation. Neither is it insensitive to hardship or suffering. Paul had his share of both. In fact, in this letter, he's going to reference it. Rather, what he's doing, he's laying down a spiritual discipline that realigns our reactions and responses to life. The Apostle Paul, actually earlier in this letter, will be talking about the fact that he's, he's writing from prison. And he says, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering, I yet I will rejoice. Now, just a word, I don't know where you are in your biblical and theological studies here. But a drink offering, being poured out as a drink offering... That's not a celebratory thing. It's, he's being poured out. He's talking about his death, the sacrifice, never to re-enter the vessel. A drink offering poured out doesn't get to go back home and be enjoyed later. It's expended for the Lord's worship. Paul says, even if I'm poured out like a drink offering, yet I will rejoice. Because for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He, the Apostle Paul, shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, imprisoned eventually martyred. He is not saying rejoice in the Lord always as a trite and trivial, pretend everything's okay, rose-colored glasses, Pollyannish kind of way of life. The Apostle Paul is not making light of suffering and hardship. He knows these things quite well himself. But he's outlining for us what is a spiritual discipline that as Christians, as the people of God, we are to rejoice always. We're to rejoice always rejoicing regardless of our circumstances and context is inextricably tied to other things it's tied to thanksgiving and supplication it's tied to prayer look at what he says he says rejoice in the Lord always again I'll say rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think if you read this passage in a particular way, it actually speaks in a very profound way to the way our world operates, the contemporary world in which we live, which says, look, your experiences and circumstances, they're justification for you to behave in a way other than this. No one would question you. Life is hard. It's dealt you a hard blow. Things aren't going your way. Your circumstances are piling up. You're suffering. You have hardship. Not only that, the context in which you live says it's ridiculous to actually continue to rejoice when your circumstances are devastatingly terrible by any standard. The Apostle Paul is writing from prison, facing death, and he says, I rejoice, I rejoice, I rejoice. Something must be different in the way that Paul views his circumstances. And so what ends up happening here is he outlines something where he says, look, rather than being anxious, rather than doing those things, rather pray and and be involved in supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What he is not saying here is that if things are not going your way, if the context is harsh, if you feel yourself slipping, or your circumstances are piling up, pray that God takes them away. Rather, what he says is if you come before God and you pray, with all supplication and thanksgiving, you bear your heart to God, something remarkable will happen. There is a peace that will come over you that will surpass all understanding and comprehension. And your minds and hearts will be guarded and kept from the thinking of the world that says, if God doesn't take care of you, he doesn't deserve your worship, your praise, your respect, your admiration, your love, your submission, your followership. Paul isn't saying do these things to get those things fixed. He's saying if you do these things, what happens is they, they, they come into focus in a different way. You start thinking about different things. Actually, what ends up happening here is his exhortation is that if we pray in this way, prayer moves us. Rejoicing, regardless of circumstances and context, is tied to thanksgiving and supplication. It's tied to prayer. Prayer moves us. It's an expression of our emotions. It's also a means of checking them. What he's laying out here, I think, to these Christians, he's actually asking them to rejoice with him in his own suffering and imprisonment, in his own hardship, in his own facing of martyrdom. Rejoice with me because we know the Lord is near. He holds all things in his hands. We know that to live is Christ than to die is gain. So there's no reason for us to be short on rejoicing, Paul is saying. He's actually setting an example for them. He's not just exhorting them to do something that he hasn't experienced. He's wrestling with the same thing. He, in fact, says, I want nothing more than to come to you. But circumstances are preventing, yet I'll rejoice. He isn't saying, well, I'd really like to see you, but somehow it's not working out. Therefore, I give up. Rather, he says, I rejoice. I'm not anxious. Rather, I'm praying with thanksgiving to God. It's a very powerful idea that no matter what, brothers and sisters, we rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. When I was a much younger man and reading these passages, this one bothered me a bit. I actually saw it as one of those things that was turned into something trite. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. In other words, be happy. Smile. Don't frown. Remember that in school where they told you how many more muscles you, you use to frown than you do to smile? Who cares? Right? If I feel like frowning, I want to frown. Later in graduate school, they told me that laughing and smiling actually reduces, re- releases endorphins in your system. You'll feel better. Yeah, except I don't want to feel better. I actually want to feel like I'm feeling right now. This is where I want to be. Because I don't like what's happening to me. I don't like what's happening in the world around me. I don't like my circumstances. I'm struggling with the context. But what Paul is saying here is not simply just change your attitude. He's actually providing a means through which your perspective on all of it is changed. Because you bring yourself before that holy God of whom we just sang. When I was a much younger man, this verse bothered me because... I hadn't yet learned the power of stopping and reflecting on the eternal truths of who God is. What Dr. Harding did for us this morning is a gift. We stop to focus on the holiness of God. Look, brothers and sisters, you should be coming to some point in your life where if you stop and focus on the holiness of God, the power of God, the grace, love, and mercy of God, all the things of which you are a recipient, you should be getting goosebumps at that point. If you're waiting for a drumbeat to give you goosebumps, you're missing the point of worship. It's reflecting on the eternal truths of who God is. That moves us. And if that isn't moving you, then something is resisting the work of the Spirit and God's grace in your life. Yield yourself to the work of the Spirit. That's the only key to rejoicing. It's not pretending and putting on a set of rose-colored glasses. My wife and I talk about this all the time. She's much more of an optimist than I am. We always talk about her rose-colored glasses. The thing is, I have an uncle. He actually has rose-colored glasses. I mean, they're red. Like, they're rose-colored glasses. He's the most optimistic person I know. He he actually wears, I'm not kidding, real rose-colored glasses. But we're not talking about putting on a pair of glasses that will actually trick you into thinking everything is fine. We're actually coming to the realization that God is almighty God. Holy, powerful, loving, gracious, merciful. Those are the things that should move us. And that's actually what the Apostle Paul is suggesting here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious. He knows what you need before you even ask. In everything, rather, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, come before God and let him know what's on your heart. And then trust that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that you might be kept from wanting what the world wants, rather that you will find yourself wanting what God wants. I don't really think this verse began to change for me until I realized that rejoicing always is not pretending that all is well. It's what comes when we realize and understand that the Lord is at hand and holds everything in his hand. And we rejoice because all is actually well. That's a very different outlook. And that's the outlook that allows us to get above and beyond our circumstances and our context. I think the other interesting thing about this passage that stands out to me over the years as I reflect upon it is that rejoicing is not an emotional reaction in the way that you and I think about it in today's world. Dr. Harding mentioned the Eagles game. You have emotional reactions to things all the time. I'm not the world's greatest sports fan. I go to games, and when everybody around me is wanting to high-five or chest bump, it's not really my thing. I even prefer to stay seated. I can see more. I can hold my food better. But then something happens in the game where you can't help yourself, right? You get swept up in it, and you find yourself on your feet, and even someone like me who doesn't high-five is all of a sudden making friends with all the inebriated people around me. <laughs> what happens? You get swept up in it. That's not this kind of rejoicing. That's getting swept up in something. This is, this is more weighty than that. This is more substantive than that. This is, there's more gravitas to this. There's a reasonableness and a reasoning that comes into play here. This passage is not simply talking about an emotional reaction, change the way you feel about something. Actually, this is tied to Paul's other exhortations that you should not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You should see and think about things differently. Rejoicing in this way is something that requires reason. It's not simply an immediate or visceral emotional reaction to something or someone. It's born of a sound Christian mind and heart. The very thing that Paul wants to see guarded by that peace of God. I think this is critically important to remember in a culture that values feeling over reason. In the last five to six to seven years, I've asked my classes, would you say that the world today values reason over feeling or feeling over reason? No one ever says reason over feeling in the world in which we live we're driven by our feelings our emotional visceral reactions to something i like it i didn't like it it made me feel good it made me feel bad it made me smile it made me not smile look the thing we sang this morning is you don't want to see the glory of god you want to think about the glory of god but in the old testament when people saw the glory of god it was over because human eyes sinful human eyes to gaze upon that you yeah, think about that we smile And we weep when we think about the Lord. We smile at his grace and his mercy. We weep at our own sinfulness and the holiness of God should be imposing to us. But the world around us is driven by feelings over reason. So it's all about the visceral immediate reaction. I like it. It made me smile. I didn't like it. It made me sad or made me angry. That's not what this is talking about. There's something more substantive here. It has to be because the exhortation is to rejoice in the Lord always. And he goes back and says, again, I say, rejoice. Well, how do I do I do that? If you see this only as an emotional reaction, then you'll look for things that will actually evoke this emotional reaction. You'll actually come to worship wanting to be provoked to rejoice. Rather, you should be contemplating the God who deserves to be worshiped always and then come before him rejoicing. If you're waiting for God to give you an experience that's like that grand slam in the ninth inning that brings you to your feet, what about Job who says, I know that my redeemer lives and though he slay me, yet will I praise him. One of the keys to being able to carry out the Christian faith no matter what, regardless of our context or circumstances, is thinking rightly about God, ourselves, and this world in which we live. But we have a problem in the world in which we live. Because it sets certain rules for how we are to approach these things and how we are to experience the world. And I would just say this, if we wait to rejoice until we feel like it, or wait to be thankful until we feel like it, we run the risk of never rejoicing or being thankful because we never quite feel like it. The pages of Scripture are full of exhortations and encouragements, callings and commandments, as well as examples that are contrary to that approach. The beauty of singing even the words we sang together this morning, and as a practical suggestion, I would offer this to you. You might do well in your private time, your quiet time. First of all, you might do well to have that if you don't already. But you might do well in it to contemplate, to think on and reflect upon God's divine attributes, his unchanging qualities His power and majesty, His holiness, His goodness, His grace. Think on these things that you're studying about in your classes. Stop and think on these qualities which God possesses. Stop and think on the blessings that are yours in and through Jesus Christ, on what it really means to be redeemed and forgiven and to be the beneficiaries of the promise of eternal life and the resurrection. Stop and think on those things and just see, just try to see if it doesn't make you a little more thankful And a little more willing to rejoice, regardless of your circumstances or how you feel. Because all of this pales in comparison to those things. So I suggest that one of the things that Paul is doing for us here is giving us a spiritual discipline that's actually for our benefit. Rejoicing is good for us that we have to think rightly about God in order to get there, and that we should be, even in our prayers, rather than being worried about things, going before the Lord with open and honest hearts, with all the things that scare us and all the things that, that worry us and trouble us. Lay them before the Lord with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Come before Him in submission. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It actually will go well for you. Stop and reflect on these eternal truths of God. But I would add one other practical suggestion. In addition to praying and praying this way and to thinking rightly about God and reflecting on these truths which should move you, I would encourage you to be careful with regard to the sensibilities of the world around us and the way they may be affecting you. I've been doing a little reading on this construct of social contagion, which I was introduced to in graduate school a long time ago. It's been around since the late 19th century, looking at mob mentalities and the tendency that we have to mimic the behaviors and feelings of others who are around us. And in the world and age of the influencer, this is actually what is attempting to happen. You you sort of end up morphing into what's around you. Beware and be careful of the ways in which the world around you, the culture in which you live, the images that you allow to saturate your mind and your eyes, the things that you listen to. Be very careful about the ways in which they are influencing your sensibilities and judgment about circumstances and about context. Paul's stating here that that peace will guard our hearts and minds, which means they need guarding. In addition to being prayerful and thankful and reflecting, I would ask you and encourage you to be vigilant, particularly in this area of rejoicing, because it is a biblical thing to rejoice always. It pleases the Lord, and it's for our benefit. But it's not trite and trivial. We're not whistling through the graveyard here and pretending all is well. It's standing firm in the conclusion that we serve a sovereign God, the maker and sustainer of all things, and because of that, all is well. Therefore, rejoice always, and again I say rejoice, no matter what. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your goodness and grace to us. We thank you for your word, for the truth that it contains. We thank you that it doesn't only give us those things which are easy to hear and easy to do, We pray that your spirit would be at work in us to follow through on the hard teachings of scripture, the ones that require us to set aside self, to yield our wills to yours, to submit obediently to your commands and your calling. We pray, Father, that you would give us the kind of courageous faith that would not run from the hard teachings of your word, but rather run to them. For we know that in time of great need, these are the things that endure these are the things that sustain us father I pray that you would be at work in our midst that your spirit would be at work in our midst as a community to drive deep into us a commitment to your word to knowing it to living according to it give us the kind of attitudes that would force us to being grateful to praying often Give us the grace and wisdom to reflect upon eternal truths in a way that move us to a greater appreciation for you, love for you, and desire to serve you. And Father, we pray that you would grant us both a willingness and wisdom to be vigilant in the way in which our circumstances and context are pushing us in a direction contrary to your word. And we pray these things in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Have a great day, great week.